No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. Today is Palm Sunday, and if you guys don't know what that means, it's basically this, kind of what Jason was sharing earlier today, is um, this is uh, the day that basically Jesus rides in on a donkey into Jerusalem, and um, the people there uh, started to lay down their cloaks. They started to lay down their palm branches. And what it was, it's, it's, they call it the triumphal entries because this is what they would do with a king that would come back victorious in battle. And so um, they were proclaiming that he was a king victorious in battle. And so they started laying all this stuff down. They were cheering for him. They were uh, uh, yelling, Hosanna. Um, and technically, it's Hosanna, but that's okay. Um, but uh, we Americanize everything. So, uh, so it's Hosanna. So he's yelling, uh, Hosanna. Um, and, and, just, and they, they're just screaming and shouting. And this is amazing because they're the same people that like six days later or five days later will actually be the same people yelling at him to be crucified. And it's just the, the dichotomy of that is just crazy. And, I, and, and if you don't know me, um, I'm weird. Uh, should, should, I, should I lead with that next time? Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm a little different because my, my thought process, I, I ask questions that maybe I'm not supposed to ask, but I find it fun. Um, so, like, I, I had this thing, like, I don't understand if you ever read the gospel and God is, or Jesus is walking around, he's doing all these miracles, he's a Jewish man, and he's, he's, used, he's using the Jewish law, and he's using the Jewish text, like the scriptures. He's using all of that, and the Jewish people just don't like him. 
And I always thought to myself, that's, that's dumb. Like, I don't understand why that would actually be. And then, um, then I, I started, like, thinking in my head, like, the guys that were supposed to keep the law, they're called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they just kind of make sure they're like the, um, I guess you could say the religious police, okay? Um, they would make sure that everything you were doing was kosher or that it was uh, um, good towards the by arts of the scriptures, uh, to the, which is called the Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible. Uh, everyone with me on that one? Yeah? Okay, and so basically they would make sure that. Now some of you guys are sitting here, yeah, I know that. And they're like, well, they didn't like Jesus, but they couldn't find any fault in Jesus. And I started asking the question, what happened then between everybody hating Jesus and then all of a sudden palm branches being thrown down? So in my head, that's my question. I was like, I don't get it. Because right now, I just feel like, like something isn't, like, I don't know. I just feel like going insane sometimes. Because like, when you read the scriptures, you're like, oh, no, we love him. Oh, no, no, we hate him. No, 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 he's good now. No, no, we hate him now. And then it's like, ah, oh, it's like a marriage. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you're with me. Good, I'm so happy. Um, no, but the reality is, is, is like, I, that was my question. And so I, I want to share a little bit of a journey with you. And I want to share the actual moment that people started to recognize that he is a victorious king. Does that make sense? So that's where we're going to be headed today. And I, I want to show you this. Uh, we're in the, oh, yeah, I guess I should tell you. We're in a series called Perspective. And we want to give you a perspective on this. All right. Did that. All right. This is the cleanest, like, picture I can get of the area uh, that is basically um, uh, uh, the, middle, the Middle East back then. So what you're going to see here, you see the Mediterranean Sea on that side because it's probably the biggest words. The big red circle, this is all you're going to need to know. You don't need to know all the... So if you're in the back, binoculars would work. Um, but the big red circle, that's Galilee. Okay? So when they start saying like, uh, like oh, he's a Galilean and that type of stuff, I want to show you that's where he's at. This is up in Galilee. Matter of fact, uh, there's a sea right there. It's the Sea of Galilee, right dead smack in the middle of that red circle. That's actually where he walked on water. Now, you have to recognize this. That sea is actually really, really big. It's not like a little pond like, you know, Lake Elsinore or something like that, okay? Like, it's a big lake, okay? Um, so I want you to know that's where he's at. He's in the Galilee. Everybody with me? Where he ends up is down here. Okay, a little, I don't, you have to duck, you guys can see that, right? The little circle down there, that is Jerusalem. Everybody, everybody good? Yeah. Now, he's got to get from up there to down there, okay? Now, most of the time you would just, like, if you're going to, like, jump in a car and go, that would be good. The problem is, is cars weren't invented yet, and camels are really slow, Right? I mean, that's really all you had. I mean, there were horses, but most people didn't use horses because they were way too expensive, and they really didn't come out into this area at that point in time. Everybody good? So what happens is, is from Galilee to Jerusalem is 110, 106 to 110 miles if you walked it in a straight line. Everybody with me on that one? The problem is, here's the journey. Bam! The journey, he went from up here, Capernaum, Capernaum, okay? And he went down, he went over, down, over. Do you see like how he, he shot out and went around something? Do you know why he went around that? Because that's Samaria. And there's a little like text in your, in your Bibles where it says that the Jewish people didn't walk through Samaria because the Samaritans and, and the Jewish people didn't get along. The problem is, is you see where he stops? 
dead center in Samaria. You know why? He meets a woman there at a well. Now I want to show you this journey from up top down to here out to uh, Pierre or Piera um, on the side. This is three week. This is a three week journey. Now why am I sharing this? Because your entire gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, majority of it is written in this journey. And we don't even realize it. You think that when you're reading the scriptures, you're literally reading like three years of Jesus' life. You're not. You're reading maybe three to four weeks. Majority of it. These are all the accounts that started to take place. Now, if you look at the gospels and you see all the accounts that take place in just those like weeks that took place, you look at that and you understand now why John writes, if I was to write everything that Jesus did down into a book, there would not be enough books. I could not write enough to show you all the things that Jesus did. That's amazing. At least for some of you, that should be like, oh, that's cool. For some of you guys, you're like, I don't care. Um, either way, there's the knowledge. Okay, so um, does that make sense though? So this, you have this journey that comes down here and uh, you see how he goes into Jerusalem? If you look at the very bottom here, he goes into Jerusalem and then he leaves Jerusalem. The reason that happens is because he goes in there, he starts teaching, he starts to heal people, and then all of a sudden, um, the, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they go, we're going to kill you. And he goes, well, i got to leave here now. So he starts to leave and he ends up on the other side of, a, of a, the river in, in what they call Bethany. Now here's where it's going to get really confusing. Are you ready? That's Bethany number two. That's, that's, the other Bethany is literally right outside Jerusalem. It's maybe like three, four miles outside of Jerusalem. Everybody with me on that one? So what we're going to read today is what actually happens. Um, what actually takes place in a town called Bethany. Because this is going to be the thing that literally gets people to lay down palm branches and say, you are a king. And we get what you're trying to do. Everybody ready for that? John chapter 11. Okay? John chapter 11. Um, oh, there's Bethany. Oh, I had one more slide. Look at that. See, there it is. There's Bethany. Right there next to Jerusalem. See that little line? All right. Nobody cares. All right, moving forward. Um, we're going to go actually, I was going to do biblical accounts and I was going to share the story with you, but I couldn't do it justice. I really want to read it to you. So if I hope you don't get bored. We're going to be stopping here and there. Um, and I hope it actually gets you to ask questions about who God is and Jesus. Sound good? Here we go. It says this, John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. See, Bethany. Now you know where it's at, right? Not Bethany number one, Bethany number two. Does that did you click in? All right, that's why I did that. that. I literally did all that intro for that word right there. <laughs> You never okay. So um, to Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Okay, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with uh, ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. That that verse two right there, that's actually a precursor to what's about to happen. If you actually read the Bible like in order, if you read John chapter eleven and you read that Mary anointed Jesus with her hair, then all of a sudden you go to chapter twelve and she does it. And you're like, I'm so confused. Did it happen twice? No, because we're writing, because the scriptures are written past tense, like they already lived it. It's kind of like when you're telling a story and you go and, you, and like you like do rabbit trail. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, and this happened, blah, blah, blah. But that's later. I'll tell you later. Meh. That's literally what that is. 
Does that make sense? So just saying, she's anointed him with her hair. Now, hopefully some of you are like, she did that? That's gross. Read it. It's awesome. All right. Verse 3. So the sister went to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But Jesus heard it and he said, the illness does not lead to death. That is an important line. You need to catch this. The guy that you love, he's sick. And he's like, that's cool. It's not going to lead to death. So we're good, right? Um, and then it says, uh, but he's sick, or he's sick for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Okay? So, which by the way, did you read that? Like, he loves them? Does he not love anybody else? Does anybody know you guys don't think that way? Like, I read that and I'm like, so does he love people less? Because that's not God, right? All right, I'll let you chew on that for a while. Um, I don't give answers. I just make you ask more questions. Is that okay? Um, but I just think that is an interesting thing because if I was a disciple and I was hanging out with God or Jesus and like, hey, the one that you love, he's like, he loves us too. Which I wonder, I wonder if that's why, because right after this, all the disciples start arguing who Jesus loves more. And I'm wondering if it's because of these type of like conversations. Hey, you know the one that you love? Yeah, you need it. I think when you're saying that, they're fishing, right? Hey, you love me, come heal me, type of an idea. You everybody with me? Yeah? Okay, move forward. Um, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I just love that. Did anybody catch that? Like, hey, he's sick, he's dying, come on. He's like, I'll chill here for two more days. That's not an, it's not an immediate thing. Why is it an immediate thing? Because it will not lead to death. Okay? Locked in. It won't lead to death. So he stayed in the place where he was. Where was he? He was in Bethany too. He was, he was on the other side of the river in a place called Bethany in, the, in, in basically a region called Piera or, or however. You've got to put the phlegm in there and I can't do it. Okay? So that's where he's at. Everybody with me on that one? So... He's over on that, that side, and so uh, he stays there two more days, um, and then they have this conversation with the disciples. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go uh, to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? By the way, I, the way that Jesus tells, talks to people is awesome. Because they're freaking out. They're like, listen, bro, you're about to go into a place where they just tried to kill you and you want to go back? Is there not 12 hours in the day? What? <laughs> like, come on, let's be real. Like, that's literally, that's literally just what happened, okay? Hey, you're going to get killed again. Is there not 12 hours in a day? Where are you going with this, okay? 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because, because he sees the light of, of, this, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not on him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has um, gone to sleep, fallen asleep. But, but I, need, I go to awaken him. Now, Jesus did a great job of diverting that question, didn't he? Because he's not going to answer it. You want to go back to where everybody's trying to kill you? So not 12 hours in the day. Listen, when the light's out, you can see and you don't stumble. But when it's dark outside, you stumble. 
hey, Lazarus fell asleep. <laughs> I, yeah? You guys got that, right? I just love that because why? He's diverting their fear. So what's he, what's he trying to do? Look, I can see that you're going to be scared, so I'm going to give you like the light and the day and the stumbling and all that kind of stuff, which by the way, he's really referring to them and who they are. You're the light. When you come and, and, and you know who I am, you bring light to the dark areas. Does, does that make sense? There should not be any darkness around you. Why? Because those that stumble, it's the same thing that I used last week when I said um, people that dance, are people that, uh, that, that are dancing, how do I, what do I mean? Yeah, well, the ones that dance look insane to those that can't hear the music, right? But if you, if you can see it, you understand it, you walk in the light and the people walking in the darkness are like, I don't get it. And that's literally what he's trying to say. And then he's like, oh yeah, Lazarus fell asleep. Okay. Which, let's just be real, if you're a disciple, you're like, good. He's resting. He's sick. He should go to sleep. Which is exactly what they say, right? Lord, if he's falling asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Because you never know what Jesus is trying to say. He's talking about daylight, right, nighttime, and these things fall asleep. They think he's resting, but he really meant that he's dead. So they don't even know what's going on at this point. And then, last, uh, and then finally Jesus goes, listen, he died. He dead. <laughs> Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but uh, may, that you may believe, but let us go to him. I love this, by the way. They've been traveling with him for three years. They've seen all these amazing miracles. Lazarus, a friend of theirs, has to die for them to believe, which means they were still belonging before they actually believed in who Christ really was. Did that make sense? That kind of wraps in what we've been talking about the last month. Okay. He's like, I'm glad this happened so you can believe. Goes on. But let us go to him. Uh, and Thomas called the twin. Thomas in the, in the Hebrew actually means twin. Um, calls, uh, called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I really wish that I had that persuasive power. Because they're like... Jesus, you want to go back to the place they're trying to kill you for a guy that's taking a nap? Listen, there's 12 hours in a day. And darkness and stumbling and stuff. You want to go? Hey, let's go die with him. That's what just happened. I, I find that amazing. Like, right? For us, some things, I, and here's where I want to get with this on this. You're like, why are you telling us this? Now I'm just confused about the scriptures. It's not confusing. It's trust. That's all it is. It's trust. Listen, I might not know exactly what you're trying to explain to me right now, but I do know this. I need to follow you. Because there was something in their heart that said, I got to follow him. If there wasn't anything in their heart that said I had to follow him, they wouldn't be in this moment with him. Some of you, you're in that spot right now. You know the Lord. You love the Lord. You've been following the Lord. You might not understand everything about him, but you know this. You're supposed to be where you're supposed to be. And you don't know why. And all our job is to do is to keep listening. Our job is to keep listening and trusting that he has a way for us. Did that make yes? And that's where we need to live. That's where we need to be. And this is where the disciples are at in this moment. And he goes on. Uh, uh, 
Now, uh, let's go die with him. And then uh, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Which means this, when he said that he was asleep, he was already dead. Which means that when he heard already, uh, two, and he stayed two more days, that means somewhere in that, in that time frame, Lazarus dies. Because it takes them about a day, or maybe a day and a half, to get back to Bethany. Did that, are you guys following the, the logic there? Okay, so Lazarus has been dead for a while. Four days, it says. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard, I love this part, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, um, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I want you to catch what she's saying. She walks up to Jesus and she's reprimanding him. I don't know if you caught that or not. She basically walked up to him and said, look, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus goes, hey, your brother's going to rise again. And she's like, I know. In the last days, I know he will rise again and we all get to hang out. But it doesn't help me now. Right? It doesn't help me in this moment. And I want you to understand this in this moment. Because you're about to see what we call a religious spirit. There's one thing about knowing the scriptures. Knowing religion. And there's another thing to actually live it out. Did that make sense? There is, you ha we have to get our, our heads wrapped around this. Martha, who is an amazing woman, we see that throughout scripture, has a sister who is another amazing woman, does some uh, great things. But what you see between the two of them, one is very religious and task oriented and one is really faith lived and kind of uh, what you see like as those weird people. Right? So Martha's in a church doing the church thing and Mary's on the street corner yelling, Jesus saves. That's, that's the dichotomy there. Did you guys catch that? Okay. So Martha runs up and she's like, I know he'll rise in the last days. So then Jesus said to her, no, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because this is a huge thing. Martha, do you believe this? And listen, this is not just to Martha. This is to you. This is the moment that you actually believe that there's a God or not. This is the moment. Do you believe that when you say yes and amen to God, that you will never die? Now, obviously, shell of a, of a, of a thing. This thing breaks down, okay? That, yeah. This is like an old model car, okay? You gotta, sometimes you have to get a newer model. Well, that's what happens when you die. You get the newer model. Did that make sense? Okay, unless you don't like cars and put whatever you want there. But the reality is, this statement, do you believe this? This is huge in our lives today. And it says this, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world, which is very weird. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who is coming into the world. But I'm standing in front of you. 
No, wait, you either believe I'm him or you don't. Did you catch the, 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 the pronunciation there? Coming means that he's still coming. He's still trying to get there. But he's standing right in front of her. Do you see how Jesus in that moment realized she doesn't get it yet? Moving forward. Uh, coming into the world. Uh, next slide. Is there? Yeah. When she, had, uh, when she had said this, uh, she went and called her sister Mary, saying, uh, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet uh, come into the actual village, uh, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her, remember the Jews are the ones trying to kill Jesus. Do you guys, is, this is kind of like a download thing, okay? Like, shh, don't tell anybody, okay? Okay, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise up uh, quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep, uh, to weep there. Now, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Did you catch a difference between Martha walking up and Mary walking up? Martha walks up and is like, hey! Mary walks up and drops. Do you see the difference? But here's where you're going to find there's no difference in what they say. The difference is the action. I want us to get to this place. Last week we shared this kind of concept um, that what you do in the physical is actually something that happens in, in the spiritual. So uh, like obeying in the physical sometimes releases something in the spiritual realm. Did that make sense? I know it sounds kind of weird, but... That's what happens. So, like, why do you raise your hands in worship? It's an act of surrender. I'm physically showing you, God, I'm surrendering, okay? And I hope that my heart follows. Kind of an idea. Did you get that? I hold my hands out because I want to receive. Now, obviously, I'm not receiving anything, but I, it's my spiritual, or it's my physical act hoping for a spiritual blessing. Did that make sense? Yes? Okay, thank you. One person. At least one. All right, um... Now when Mary, uh, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved uh, in his spirit and greatly troubled. I love that line. He was moved in his spirit and then he was troubled. That word means angry. I, I, I think this is just a neat moment with God. You're seeing who he really is. You're seeing that, that conflict between spiritual and worldly. You're seeing it played out on stage right, right in front of us where, where literally these, these, this, these women come up and their brother has just died. It's this horrible, tragic thing. He shouldn't have died. He was too young. And now the guy that could have stopped it is now standing here in front of us and he's mad? He's angry. And then it goes on. I love this. Uh, greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, you ever wanted to like memorize a, 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 a Bible verse? Here it is. Ready? Jesus wept. That's it. Two words. You got it. See, you know a Bible verse now. Okay. Now, everybody, there is so much theological like thoughts around this because this is really the only spot where it ever records that Jesus actually like had these emotions like you know what I mean he wept and now here's what the Jews say so the Jews said see how he loved him right and immediately when you hear that Jesus wept and he was deeply moved and angry right you think oh he's crying for them no 
Not at all. You don't know why? Because of what he told the disciples before he even left to go to Bethany. What did he say? He, this will not end in death. So the disciples are sitting there going, it ended in death. Right? He's a goner. Right? And then what happens? As soon as Mary runs up, if you were here, you could have stopped it. And I think he's starting to sit here, and this is what, and here's the next piece to our evangelism thing that we've been talking about for the last month. See, you have to know the hour and the time. You have to understand what's going on around you. Does this make sense? Like you have to recognize if somebody is deeply hurting and they just lost somebody, you don't put your arm around them and go, you want to go to church with me this Sunday? No. That's not what you do. You console them. You love them. If you have somebody that's sitting there spitting in your face and, and like angry at you, you don't go, you want to know Jesus? This is an awkward, that's an awkward moment. See, what happens is, is you have to be able to read the situations. I think as Christians, we misread a lot of situations. And you're like, Craig, how can you say that? I was like, because I have a Facebook and I read things. <laughs> it is the weirdest thing to watch churches fight against other churches. It's the weirdest thing to, 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 to have congregation members angry at each other. Listen, I get people are people, but there is, a, there is a point in our life where we have to just sit back and read the moment and understand not everybody is evil and not everybody is out to get you. I mean, there might be that one person. But most people, we're not, we're not that evil. Especially if you're here today and you're sitting in this church right now and you're like, look, I, I, I think I'm an okay person. You know, somebody cut you off in the parking lot or something like that. You're like, ah, I hate this church. Right? It's like we just lump everybody together, but we have to be able to step back from ourselves and read the situation. Because love will conquer all. So then why is Jesus in this moment, why does he start to weep? Notice he doesn't weep when Martha, he doesn't weep with Mary, he weeps when he says, where have you laid him? And he's not weeping for Lazarus. I firmly believe the reason why he weeps is the same reason that he's weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he starts to sweat blood from the anxiety that he has because he knows he has to endure the cross. I believe this verse, this is the moment where he figured out this is it. This is the end. This is going to be my death march from Lazarus' tomb to my tomb. Does this make because what's about to happen next is this. He says this. He says, so uh, uh, could not uh, he who opened the eyes of the blind man uh, also have kept this man from dying? Once again, they keep saying, couldn't he have kept him from dying? And he's like, I am. Calm down, okay? Next, uh, the next slide. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Deeply moved again. Where is he standing? At the tomb. Okay? He, it was a cave and there was a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister, the logical one, yells. She says, uh, uh, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. I'm sorry, that's just really funny to me. I mean, they're like, like they're going to the tomb and they're like, remove the stone. And her biggest worry is, it's going to smell. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, do you see like that, that, that contrast? Do you know how many times that's, what, that's who we are? We're not trying to remove tombs and, 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 and pull out dead people, but how many times in our lives are we yelling at something that actually has, doesn't even matter? We get upset over something that doesn't even matter. We start to fight for something that doesn't even matter. Right? It's like, and I'm sorry, I do this all the time with my, my son. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And he does it, and he's like, oh, it turned out fine. Okay, you can keep doing that. Like, you know what I mean? It's, just like, it's like that one moment where you're like, no, no, no. And then you see it, and you're like, oh, it's good. And I, I, I equate this to riding a roller coaster. Because most of you guys, if you've never ridden a roller coaster, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And then those of you that ride roller coasters, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because most people that don't ride roller coasters is because they've never been on one. Because they're afraid to go on it. And we get scared and we're like, no, 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 I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. And I was that person. I did that forever. My parents, like, literally, I was at Magic Mountain, the worst place I could have possibly been. And my parents were like, this is amazing! Like, and I was like, I hate you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and they're like, we're going to go on this roller coaster and it goes upside down and it'll be fun. And I'm like, no, it won't. Right? And they literally drug me onto this thing. Like, and they like lock the seat down. I'm having a panic attack. I'm sweating. You know what I mean? And like, it starts click, 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 click. I'm like, ah! And then we hit the loop. Ah! Oh my God, let's do it again. Oh my God, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And that's really what happens. Right? Those moments that give us that fear. Those things that, that, that we think we care about. We have to really, once again, take a step back and read the moment. What is really happening? Because Martha at this moment, she is just thinking in a worldly sense. It's going to smell. It will smell if he's dead. It will. But we know what's about to happen. Jesus knows what's about to happen. And this is, that, that's, this is the moment where Jesus takes a turn. Here's what happens next. Uh, there will be an odor for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did, not, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That statement should be where we all land. If you believe, you should see the glory of God. I think that statement stands for us today. Not just raising the dead. I'm just talking about everything in our life. If we stay steadfast and we believe, then we'll start to see the glory of God in every aspect of our lives. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Uh, I knew uh, that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said, uh, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands... And, and feet bound and wrapped with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That statement, and let him go. What had him bound? Death. The burial clothes is a representation of death. And he literally looks and says, let him go. That's good. And for your life, this is what Jesus did on the cross for you. When he resurrects, next Sunday, when we start talking about the, uh, the, uh, the celebration service and Easter, this is what he did. When he said, it is finished on the cross, this is what he's doing. When he comes out of the tomb, he rises in that power. What is he saying? He's saying, death, let them go. And so today... What happens, or excuse me, what happens next, is in bed, you can start coming on stage. Uh, what happens next 
is this. See, that happens uh, a week before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Where he, where he literally gets carried in on a donkey. And how do, why is this an important factor? Because, because this happened so close to Jerusalem, because the Jewish people were standing there and witnessed this, this started to become, um, th basically, it went viral. Okay? It, it just, everybody started hearing. And here's the next thing you need to know. Passover is coming a week later, which means everybody from Galilee all the way down through Jerusalem, all of them, which is about, about 300,000 maybe to 400,000 people, were actually making a trek down into Jerusalem. And what do you think they're hearing? They're hearing about this man named Jesus who talks to the Samaritans, who heals blind eyes, who heals the lepers. And where do they hear it from? All the way from Galilee, all the way down to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, what's the final thing that they hear? He can raise the dead. Who is this king? Who is this man that can do all of these things? And then somebody starts to shout, here he comes, here he comes. And as he starts to ride up on a donkey, and if you're wondering why he rides up on a donkey, he's literally mimicking uh, some of the things that take place. There's a prophecy, but he's also uh, mimicking some of the kings, David and Solomon, that ride in uh, to their kingdoms on a donkey as well, symbolizing that he's part of their line. That's just, that's that rabbit trail I was talking about. Um, but here he comes, and they start laying down the palm branches. They start taking off their cloaks and throwing it on the ground. And they're saying, you've got to be the next king. You've got to be the next king. They're not saying, you've got to be my Lord. You've got to be my Savior. No, they're saying, you've got to be the next king. You've got to help us with these Romans. You've got to help us take back our temple and take back our ancestry. Help us. They did not yet know that he was the king of kings. They did not yet know that he was the Lord of lords. They did not yet know that he was the Messiah, the one who was and is to come, the one that would forgive us of all. And so today, my prayer is that you would recognize who God is. Take all the, 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 the gospel stories that you know, all the accounts, all the healings, all of his wise words, and today, remember them and ask yourself the question, do you believe this? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Is he your savior? And nobody can answer that except for you. This is a moment just between you and him. And so one of the things that we do here at Church 242 is we do worship at the end. And the reason why we do worship at the end is because it's a reflection time. Because there might have been something said or God might have opened up your heart a little bit and this is the moment that we get to praise him. This is the moment that we get to shout out his name. This is the moment that we get to like just be in awe of who he is. So you have freedom in this place when it comes to worship. If you need to stand and raise your hands, you can do it. If you need to kneel, then you can kneel. Whatever you need to do, this is your moment to be with God. Amen? So, Father, we love you. And, God, I ask during this time that it would be your triumphal entry into our lives, that we would once again recognize you as Lord and King. We would recognize everything that you are and everything that you've done, and we would know that you are about to do more. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you. 
We praise you and we love you. We give you the rest of this time.